This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Okay, I started on the executive committee. My first meeting was May of 2013, I think. It seems like it was a long time ago, but I think this is still my first three-year term. But, you know, but the state organization was not doing as much when I started as it is now. And their biggest thing seemed to be to get together four times a year at, at Ludwig's and have a big meal and talk about all the bad things that were going on at their universities and then sort of disperse. It wasn't quite that bad, but, but almost. And then one of the first things that happened was they decided that they really could not afford to pay to get everybody together four times a year because of travel costs, hotels, and everything. So we, so we started to meet by phone three times a year, and then, we, and then that gave us more money to do other things. And so then what do we want to do with this money? And, and chapter building was, was a big one. So just in the last few years, I've seen a big transformation of the, of the executive committee and its focus. And so I do think that we're in a really good place. And I think that, you know, if we can harness more energy from people, that we will just move forward and that will be good. Um, and so mostly what I'm supposed to talk about is Summer Institute. And I do have, this other shows up. Um, there is a, a link, and I don't know if any of you have gone to AUP website. But they do now have a slideshow of all kinds of pictures from the Summer Institute. There's quite a few people from the Pennsylvania contingent who were there who show up in various of these pictures. And it just sort of gives you a flavor of, and, and so there's the, there's the link. So it gives you a flavor of what Summer Institute's like if you've never been there. And so since we would like to recruit some people from Pennsylvania to go next year, um, it might be worthwhile just to go and take a look so, and talk to some of us who are there. So we had a large number of people from Pennsylvania. There were at least 15, and I did not count the retirees from Holy Family. Um, so this was as many as I counted. So there were two of us from the state AUP Executive Council, Tim and myself. We had eight people from the three AUP collective bargaining units, five were at non-unionized Catholic colleges, and two were from private non-affiliated non-unionized colleges. And so this is just a note that, you know, University of Scranton is both Catholic and unionized, and I counted them in the unionized ones because they're not having the same issues that the, that the non-unionized Catholic universities are. And so I'm sure that I missed some, but we, but you know, we did have a lot. And so about eight of us got together for dinner one evening, and some of the initiatives that we're talking about here grew out of the discussions at that dinner. Okay, we saw each other at meals, we saw each other at workshops, but there'd be two or three people together and you be with people from other institutions. So you so it didn't really give us a chance to have in-depth conversations about what Pennsylvania means. And so I so to me, this what came out of this dinner discussion 
was the most important thing for Pennsylvania that came out of Summer Institute. Each of us got a lot out of our workshops individually to bring back to our institutions, but collectively it was what we talked about at this dinner. And I think that it was also important that it happened kind of towards the end of Summer Institute where we had an opportunity to talk to a lot of different people and go to several workshops so that we had a fuller idea of what other institutions were doing and what kinds of things we could do. So we talked about the highlights of the Summer Institute and how we could take what we were learning and translate it into strengthening the state AUP. And we discussed the most critical needs among those institutions that came. So there were representatives from all three AUP collective bargaining chapters there. And even though we are lucky in being unionized and it gives us more money than the, than the chapters that aren't a collective bargaining chapter and we have the strength of the state labor laws behind us, which can be important. Each of us are having our own individual <coughs> problems, and Lincoln is cropping up with a new one every, every day, and I mean, I found out a couple more yesterday, and I'm on sabbatical, and so I'm not really dealing with those. I just get text messages and emails, and so right now we're just trying to sort out how many unfair labor practices we want to take. Okay, so you know, so there are problems in those collective bargaining chapters, um, but what? But but the more important thing that was there was that the there were people there from the Catholic colleges in the Northeast. Mary Wood and Ms. Reporting on Kings. And so they discussed um, so they discussed um, forming a coalition to strengthen their impact. And we're going to hear more about that. And then for those for, you know, for Rosemont, Immaculata, Grinnin Mercy, the schools that are a little farther east, okay, this may be a good model for you to use. And um, and so and, and so we're going to hear more about that. We also wanted to this is where we also realized that we really need to get more people from Pennsylvania there. This was something that we brought back to the executive committee. And as John said, we want to spend some money to send more people there from other schools that haven't been there. The other and, and the other main idea that came out was this idea of these state workshops that is on the business agenda. We found the workshops to be extremely informative and to give us information and help us think about things in ways that we hadn't thought about them before. So why not take those to the state? And so, okay, I've already talked about. Oh, the one, one of the things I want to point out about the Catholic Initiative is that the state AUP has been working on a Catholic Initiative that didn't start about three years ago. And we, and so he did a lot. He's done a lot of research into Catholic thinking and you know, kind of written a position paper and found some ways that we can move forward. And partly having the meeting here at a Catholic Institute has, is part of that. And so when we see all these Catholic institutions in crisis around Pennsylvania and coming to state AUP for some help, we, because of an initiative that was started before we heard from all of you, we're in a position to 
I to better to, to better help you address your needs. And so I, I think it's just really important for for others who are here and from other types of institutions if you have particular needs, let the state executive committee know so that we can start building that groundwork to move to where we are with the capital power. So these were the three basic chapters. I'm, I know I'm kind of switching gears. I'm being a bad teacher here. Um, how to start a local chapter, utilizing financial documents and building momentum within a chapter. Uh, we have the state, I say we, but this hasn't been me, has gone to some, some of the schools and helped them start chapters. I think if we eventually do a workshop on that and get more people around the state trained in that, that this may help to get more chapters started. But the bigger problem is building the momentum once you have them. And and so, and then also, administrations always use financial reasons as reasons why they can't pay you and to kind of beat you down and give you more work, which affects building momentum within a chapter. So these two are often tied. So, there were a lot of financial workshops at, at, at the Summer Institute. So this is another initiative the state's going to undertake is, is, and there'll be more discussion of this, is how to build expertise within the state and bring workshops around the state to schools that need particular ones and focus just on a, on a couple of workshops right now. And then as these get off the ground and they get and, and become a little bit more routine, we can add additional ones if needed. And I am the person who's supposed to be communicating with collective bargaining chapters, and I will admit I've been very bad about that. But I do know, like I, had, I said earlier, that they are somewhat in, in crisis, particularly Delaware Valley. University of Scranton I never hear from even when I email them so I think maybe they're doing okay or maybe they are doing so badly they don't even want to talk to anybody I'm not sure which so this is something that I, that I need to do, to do a better job of and kind of build a coalition of people from collective bargaining chapters because I think that there are some things not only that collective bargaining chapters have to do that are different than the, than the non-chapters but there may be some things that we can bring to other institutions to help in organizing and particularly if there are some that are thinking about becoming unionized, you have a resource in some existing chapters and, and we need to leverage that more. And so that's something that I personally need to work on, but if anybody here wants to help me with it, I'll be happy to have some help. And, and again, that Thing of, you know, we really need to get the collective bargaining chapters together came out of Summer Institute or was sort of strengthened there. So the take-home message from all of this is that having a large number of Pennsylvanians attending the Summer Institute meeting together has been really important in giving the state AUP a focus and helping us find ways to move forward from where we were. And and that these workshops, which are one of the main things, I think will really help each of the chapters um, in, in moving forward. And that 
we are committed to supporting state faculty to attend, so plan on coming to Summer Institute 2016, and we have no idea where that will be. But anyway, does anybody have any questions, comments? No? Yes. I'm wondering, and this could be for you or for anybody in the room who wants to answer, about, you, you mentioned the collective bargaining unions. Um, when unions such as SEIU are organizing on campuses, is AAUP attempting to work with them? At that point, does it become um, a sort of competition? How does that work? I'm wondering if people may have experience with that in the room. Um, the, the AAUP has a long-standing organizing, I don't know what the memorandum of understanding is between it and the AAUP. So that's the union. That, so when you hear about, by and large, if you hear about like the University of Oregon organizing through the AAUP, it's also through the AFT. There's more, the SEIU, Steelworkers, AFT, UAW. Uh, but there's at least some national labor organizations are organizing regional uh, unions or trying to organize, like SEIU for sure. So AFT in Philadelphia, Steelworkers in, uh, in, uh, in Pittsburgh. I would say, by and large, the AUP has been left out of those discussions. Um, and I think that's largely because they're seen as not relevant, or they're, you know, they're not as big. So I, I think, and what I, and the way I've thought about it is there's really, there's, I, I, if somebody, I would much rather have somebody organized in any union, I don't care if it's the Boilermakers, I, I think that would put them in a better situation than what we have in But I also think the AUP as a union, as an organization, is extremely democratic, it's member run, and it's decentralized so that every, you know, and that and that sounds like well, that's what every union is, and it's the labor trying to say that is not the case, right? So I think there's a real value in this field in being part of an organization that's made up of people only in the, the field of higher education. So and so you know this will play out, but to some extent that's kind of what's going on in the western Pennsylvania. So there's, a bit of, there's a bit of a dust up over the jurisdictional. Sorry, there was another question. I'm not sure if this is the appropriate time. I'm sorry, we came late. Um, we represent Arcadia University, and uh, about uh, 20 years ago or so, uh, Arcadia, uh, we, we would then be college, had a very strong AUP chapter, and we were on the brink of becoming going to collective bargaining when the yeshiva decision came down, and that took the wind out of our sails absolutely. And uh, ever since then, the chapter has sort of declined and declined. And uh, uh, about five years ago, it just collapsed entirely. And now we're in the process of trying to reinvent it or bring it back. So um, my understanding is that it hadn't been involved in these issues for 20 years. Um, so what has happened to the yeshiva decision? The yeshiva decision, the yeshiva decision was understood at that time to say that if faculty were involved in any way in administration, then you could not unionize. Uh, yet I see that there are collective bargaining 
institutions across the country. How can that be? The, there's, been, there's been more union activity since Yeshiva than before. And so sometimes what you have is that institutions, and I think, I can't remember if Del Valley was in this situation. I, I'm pretty sure they organized after their private organization, the Yeshiva decision would account. But often what you find is things get so uh, jammed up and there's such a breakdown that college presidents or university presidents say, you know what, it would be so much clearer for both sides if we had a union contract, because then there'd be no ambiguity about what is or isn't the policy. It's, it's handled through a collective bargaining process. So that's part of why you have collective, private collective bargaining organizations, of which we have two. And then uh, the, I, I, my reading of the tea leaves is that I think the National Labor Relations Board is is whittling away at yeshiva. Right. Um, the question is, it also has to go up through the federal court system and to the Supreme Court, and I don't think there's much doubt that, that this court would basically uphold the issue of yeshiva. But I think in terms of um, a lot of the, there's, uh, what was it, uh, Lutheran, Pacific Lutheran is a pretty good indication that some of the objections uh, on religious grounds or yeshiva grounds, that they're really, if you're at an institution that basically doesn't have shared governance, the, the National Labor Relations Board is starting to say, well, yeah, no, this is, the, the understanding of yeshiva was in a different time and things have really evolved in the last 40 years and faculty don't really have the kind of power that the, the courts thought they did in 1973. But you're saying that at the moment we do not have the power to force collective bargaining. Right. You do, not have, you do not have the ability to act within the National Labor Relations Act if you're in a private uh, institution. You, you can engage in concerted activities or so you're protected under that. Um, that doesn't often do you that much good. It doesn't prohibit you from having uh, a, a union agreement. It just prohibits you from using the National Labor Relations Act. Part-time faculty uh, or non-tenure-track faculty, totally different situation. So if there's no tenure system or not much of one, you, you know, it's much easier. You can use the act. Uh, I spoke with the Pennsylvania NLRB post-Pacific Lutheran decision. Right. And uh, what they told me was that because of this decision that at Pacific Lutheran that overturned the Yeshiva uh, decision, that they are uh, using the criteria that came out of that um, to evaluate whether or not uh, university university faculty can organize. And the window now is that they can't until it's appealed and overturned. So at this moment, it's, NLRB would work with someone, would work with faculty to create a union. Could you say what uh, the Pacific Lutheran decision is? They challenged the ability to, to form a union, uh, and it was upheld in the court there, uh, or, or yeshiva was overturned for them, is my understanding. And it, was it, was yeshiva. it wasn't exactly that they overturned okay. yeshiva, but they said that the, the college said, we're a religious organization, so we can't be covered even if, you know, even if we were just talking about part non-tenure-track faculty or part-timer, because we're a religious organization. and. Uh, the NLRB said, so these are people all teaching Catholic doctrine? And they said, no. And they said, all right, so bullshit. You know, they can organize. And so I think the, the National Labor Relations Board is much friendlier. I still think, though, that 
says, what I remember about the National Labor Relations Act that if you're at a private institution, you're covered under the Act. If you're at a public or quasi-public institution like Lincoln, you're covered under state law. And you're saying that uh, if we didn't have tenure at the institution, we would be in a better position to, to in terms of collective bargaining. Yes. Yeah, is that a threat we can use? What's that? Is that a threat we can use? That is, if we go to the administration and say, supposing we, we're willing to get our members to give up tenure in order to have a really strong union. Do you want to face a really strong I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't advise it, because I think most people wouldn't go for that. And I'm not sure you did. You'd have to have so the union for the first it sounds like when the rubber hits the road, if you are working in a university that is a culture that is either uh, devoid of a good understanding of collective bargaining, or if, the if there's a culture and administration that is opposed to it, uh, you have really no leverage whatsoever. I mean, first of all, even if things are challenged, you're going to need some kind of law representation because it's going to get challenged through the courts. Where's that going to come from? Uh, you're, you're up for a fight. And I've been in unions most of my working life, both labor and academic. Right. Well, at Temple University, I was with the AFT, or the, the version of the AFT there. And I was stunned by the fact they were asking me to be more active in the union, and I asked them, who were up for a big contract, are you willing to strike? And they said no. And I said, well, where is your leverage? And it was one of the worst contracts ever out of the whole faculty. I was one of eight people who voted against it. Eight out of the entire Temple University faculty for that contract. See, what do you do when you're up against a culture that doesn't really, because see, we have this ambiguity, professionals, Union. There's usually been like a, a philosophical divide between that. And even a tension when you have like, uh, ask me, or people who work where you have a blue collar union and a white collar union together. They're always divided. Right. So, I, I mean, this notion of fighting and having some substance out of which you can carry on the fight, that's the real question right. for people who are going to organize. The general, it's worth remembering that the basis for American labor law goes back to the English Masters and Servants Act. Mm -hmm. So that should give you some idea yeah. of the fundamental yeah. dynamic. So it's a long way around of saying labor law tends not to be our friend. Mm -hmm. But people formed labor organizations before there was the National Labor Relations Act. Mm -hmm. In some ways, they were stronger units before the National Labor Relations Act. A lot of violence so happened. Uh, a lot of violence. That. Yes. But I would say that we have a lot more power collectively uh, than we know how to access outside. I mean, so I, I've got nothing against unions. I think they're, they would be great. I'd love to see they, they really, I mean, unions like Lincoln strengthen the process. But uh, I'm take two more quick questions or three and then or comments or questions. And then we'll I was just curious. I think Stratton's um, union predated you. There's a number of, yes. of ones that did. I was just wondering how many I'm pretty sure Dell Valley came after Yeshiva. I don't know about Lincoln. Lincoln came in 72, so that was a year before Yeshiva. Yes. 
to your question about, um, I think one of the one of the big things that I think is important to keep in mind is that as the numbers of or the percentage, the ratio of part-time adjuncts and non-tenure full-time faculty increases. Um, those are faculty who typically, especially the part-timers, do not have managerial or administrative duties. So they're clearly outside the purview of yeshiva. Um, and so I think as we see more that, that ratio go up for part-timers, it becomes easier for them to make a claim that they don't fall under that jurisdiction. Um, but yeah, I would say don't, don't, don't give up the tenure. You've got to keep it. I'll add in, so at Clark College, um, Forty years ago, so pre-issue, there was discussion about unionizing, and then it kind of it, it petered away. And with uh, we're in our third year with our, our president right now, and um, after the Pacific Lutheran decision came down, uh, we approached her very friendly <laughs> manner. We, we happened to have a meeting already scheduled, and, and said, "Well, you know, the Pacific Lutheran decision it talked about the shared governance has to be actual governance that isn't overridden." not just sort of you get input. Mm -hmm. And so it, to say that we have shared governance so we couldn't unionize um, it is clearly not flying anymore. And the look of shock on her face, and we didn't say anything about unionizing at that point, just the realization that shared governance has to go beyond just sort of a, an agreement on paper. They actually have to follow through. So even in the absence of going all the way towards unionization, that the wording in the Pacific Lutheran can be very useful in, you know, sort of slipping it into memos. Do they use the phrase shared government? They and they talk about actual, it? not um, right. yeah, shared government. Yeah. Meaningful yeah. and actual, not sort of, they have a word for like it's there on paper, but it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But they it's all like, oh, yeah. Right. Or government. I mean, it's sort of like, is your, is your, is your government more like a, Parliament or more like student government, and often it's more like student government. So it's, it's worth going back to that to see if you could like pull out a couple of those key sentences to yeah. brandish about. And one of them was that the faculty had to have a, a, a decision making in the area of financial matters. Okay, so it's more than advising; it's actual uh, sharing of decision making. And I don't know of any faculty uh, uh, that decide how the university spends its money. It makes recommendations, but ultimately those decisions are made by the board, uh, uh, top administrators, etc. So that was a very, a very key uh, sentence in uh, in what came out of uh, uh, that ruling. And I think on the basis of that, almost any of us has the capability uh, to, uh, to unionize uh, because, as I said, I don't think any faculty can uh, uh, decide you know, how the university is going to spend its money. But is there a clear implication, I'm sorry to pursue this for a moment, but is there a clear implication in that decision that shared governance is an expectation of academic institutions? Is there, an, an, is there a court judgment in that respect? It doesn't require shared governance. It's just a way of saying if you don't have real shared governance, then it's, you, you, it's kind of suspect to say that, oh, these people are managers, and so they're not employees. It's just 
That law, ha I mean, that ruling hasn't really gone through the courts. That's why, right. from what I heard from the AP, they're saying, eh, you know, we want to see how that plays out, and it's not at all clear that that's going to play out. Just one thing, I think I'm remembering this correctly, but the burden of proof that you are a manager, in some sense, is on the institution to provide. I think that, so that you, if you claim, no, we don't have meaningful uh, role in shared governance, and the institution says, oh, they do, they are managers, then the institution is the one that has to show right. who you are. It's just a different. I would still, and, and we're going to hear from Brooke for a second, and then uh, back to you. But the, uh, but the other thing I would say, even if you were going to engage in collective bargaining or you wanted to do that, the first thing that anybody, SEIU, Boilermakers, Teamsters, are going to say is, how many people on campus can you get to the first meeting? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is two, they're going to say, get back to me when the answer is, you know, 13 or 25. And so it still doesn't get around the fact, you, you know, we need an organization, you need a, a culture of participation, you need to kind of change people's expectations.